0: And the rest of you, how many of you are ready to get into the Word tonight? You ready? I want to just, and you know I'm going to have you stand, so you might as well just stay there. Uh, We're going to keep you in shape. But we have now uh, what is called Wow Wednesdays. Now, of course, you're here. And I kind of did this for the people who can't make it on Wednesday night. But maybe you'd want to get this and give it to somebody. This is uh, some of the best of the best that we've done on Wednesday nights. What we've gotten the most orders for, uh, had the most response to, Here they are, Wow Wednesdays. And uh, you can pick that up back there when we're uh, finished. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. And I want to talk to you tonight about something that is just so close to to my own heart and my own life experience. Uh, I want to talk to you about defining moments. Defining moments. We're going through the book of Mark, following Jesus through Mark. And I want you to say with me, Jesus brings defining moments. Now let's try this. Jesus is a defining moment. So let's read about a very defining moment for the disciples. Then we're going to be seated. Here we are, Mark 9, 2 through 10. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. And another version says, so he said, not knowing what to say, he said because he was freaked out. That's the revised wickwire version, but they were frightened. Now notice he wanted to build a house on a move of God. He wanted to contain a move of God, which you can't do. All you can do is ride a move of God. You can't hold a move of God, or cage a move of God, or own it either. Now, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, there's Mark's suddenly, he uses it all the time, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anybody with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Lord, bless your word tonight. We ask you for it, Lord, and give us all life-changing, defining moments with God in the year 2008. I want you to pray with me. I want you to have a defining moment in God in 2008. Just say, Lord Jesus, give me a defining moment, a life-changing experience in this new year. Amen. I know it's going to happen. Tell your neighbor, get ready. You're going to have a defining moment. You're going to have a defining moment. You're going to have a defining moment, Keith. You're going to have a defining moment. All of you, I believe it. Now, I love the word. Uh, uh, You know, I've realized at 54 years old now, I've been preaching since I was 18. So I have been preaching exactly two-thirds of my life. And that's a blessing to me. I'm so glad I didn't start way later, but I got touched. I had a defining moment at 16 with God. Then I had a major defining moment at 18. And that defining moment, that I'm going to talk about a little bit more as I get into the message, altered my whole life and I began to teach and preach the word. And now I've been doing it 36 years. I just can't even believe I'm saying that. Two-thirds of my life. And I've seen that our God is a God who brings defining moments. And I've realized that if, I, if God allowed me to preach a million years, I wouldn't even come close to exhausting what is in this book. It would still break open to me. It would still come alive to me. And I would find messages and be inspired with things from this word that I've never preached. If he let me live five million years, I wouldn't exhaust what's in this word. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus led them to a high mountain. And we've noticed that the book of Mark is the book that reads like a newspaper. It is the the book of immediacy. His favorite word is suddenly or immediately. He uses it all the time. Uh, If you're going to tell a new convert what to read, tell him either John or Mark. John reads like the Star Telegram, but it's better written. And I like the story. I mean, I read the Star-Telegram every day. I know some of you work there. I didn't mean anything by that. (laughs) But you know what I mean. There's not a paper in the world that can compare. It reads quick. Mark focuses way more on Jesus' actions than he does his teachings. You're not going to get an understanding, a good one, of what Jesus taught unless you read Matthew or Luke. Because they expound on what Jesus taught. Mark was watching what he did. Now, it says that Jesus led them to a high mountain. You search the scriptures and you'll find that God does some of his strongest works on mountaintops. And when I study this just a little bit, it's amazing to me how many things God did on mountaintops. There's literal mountaintops and there are spiritual mountaintops. Let me give you an example. It was on top of Mount Moriah that God led Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And tested his faith. On Mount Horeb, God called to Moses out of the burning bush, take off your sandals, the place where you're standing is holy ground. He said, go deliver my people. All of that happened. Mount Horeb. The bleak and the barren Mount Ebal was the place from which uh, curses were to be pronounced if Israel strayed away from God. You can find it in the Bible. Look it up in your concordance, Mount Ebal. And it was from Mount Gerizim that blessings were to be pronounced if Israel obeyed God. So if they obeyed God, then blessings were to be pronounced from a mountaintop. If they disobeyed God, curses were to be pronounced from a mountaintop. It was on Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven in such a dramatic fashion And defeated the prophets of Baal. It was Mount Zion, the city of David, holy Jerusalem. Jerusalem built on a mountaintop, Mount Zion. And it was there on that mountain that the ark and the tabernacle found a resting place in David's day. It happened on a mountaintop. On Mount Moriah, the glorious temple of Solomon was built from Mount Pisgah, Moses uh, uh, gazed on the land of promise from that mountaintop. He looked and saw there it is, the land of promise, milk and honey, the inheritance of Israel. It was on Mount Sinai that God gave Moses the 10 commandments on a mountaintop. It was on Mount Nebo that God took his servant Moses home. And they've never found the bones. And Jesus chose a mountaintop for some of his greatest teachings. We know that the Bible says in Matthew 5 that he went up Mount Olives. And when he was seated on the mountaintop, his disciples came to him. And it was on the Mount of the Beatitudes. He delivered his famous sermon on the mount. On a mountain in Galilee, he was transfigured. Look at all of these times when God used a mountaintop for a defining moment. From the Mount of Olives, he ascended into heaven. And guess what? He's going to return onto a mountaintop. The angels said, see how he went up? They said, when he returns, he will land on the Mount of Olives. And so the prophet said, he will land on top of the Mount of Olives and it will cleave in half. And from a mountaintop, he will judge the nations of the world. God uses mountaintops. He's a God of the the valley. He's there with you, but he's also a God of the mountaintop. Now, can I just tell you, and and I'm just going to slip into a prophetic mode just for a second here. I believe we're headed for a mountaintop. I believe we're headed for a mountaintop. It's time in the cycles of God and the way that he deals with things We're headed for a mountaintop. It's on the mountaintop. He speaks, he reveals, and look, it's on a mountaintop. Where he went up, we read all the time in the Gospels, Jesus went up into a mountain to pray. And Scripture declares, as I've already said, when he comes back, it'll be on a mountaintop. So God is a God of mountaintop experiences. That's our God. Now that's what I want to talk to you about today, mountaintop experiences with God or what I want to call defining moments. How many of you would like to have a defining moment with God? Oh, it's good stuff when you have one. You ought to all raise your hand and say, me, 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 please me. Because God, God brings defining moments. He brings mountaintop experiences. Now, I assume that since you're here on a Wednesday night and uh, I'm seeing most of you all the time, then I'm talking to people who are disciples, apprentices of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking to cultural or casual Christians who make it to church a couple of times a month like they're punching their time clock. Then they go home and say, well, I did my duty for God, my country, and my Christianity. I'm talking to people who want him every day. I'm talking about people who have made up their minds to follow him every day you want Jesus more than you want anything else. You are are in hot pursuit of God. You want God to change you and rearrange you and do some new things in your life. You want to become everything He has called you to be. You want to grow into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. I think that's who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to you, if that is you, can you raise your hand and say amen? amen? Come on, church. We live once and then we die. It's not how long you live, it's how you live that matters. And it's time to get red hot for God and follow him with everything we've got because mountaintops are coming. But I want you to notice something. I see that those who had mountaintop experiences with God had to be willing to be mountain climbers first. Matthew 5, 1 the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says when Jesus saw the vast crowds, he went up into the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples, notice who came to him, his disciples came to him. Notice that there were two kinds of people. When you read Matthew 5, you'll find that huge crowds were following Jesus heretofore. But when they came to the mountain and Jesus climbed to the mountaintop, And sat down to teach. The only ones who climbed up after him were his disciples, his apprentices. It wasn't that the crowd wasn't invited. What you see is two different kinds of people, mountain climbers and bottom dwellers. Now, if you're from East Texas, a bottom dweller is a catfish. And and I make it sort of a little rule of my own. I don't eat bottom dwellers except I can't resist shrimp from time to time, which is also a bottom dweller. But, you know, the fish that are along the bottom, and, and, and we won't talk about what's on the bottom there with them and, and why they're called bottom dwellers and why some people avoid them. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people who followed him as long as it was easy. But when he climbed the mountain and went to the top of the mountain, the crowd decided, well, you know, it's been a great gig and a great trip. We really enjoy listening to you, Lord. But when you go to do something that is strenuous, where we're going to have to really work to follow you up there, excuse if, excuse if we remain at the bottom. Churches are made of two kinds of people, mountain climbers and bottom dwellers, I'm going to tell you. I told you about the guy that slapped me on the back one Easter at Will Rogers and said, thank you, preacher, you bless me every year. <laughs> you know, to me, it all comes down to Jesus. If he was who he said he was, and if he is who he said he is, and if we are going to answer to him someday, if he climbs a mountain, I go with him. If he goes through a valley, I go with him. Wherever he is, you will find me. To me, it's not casual Christianity. It is, I'm not only saved, but I'm a disciple. I'm an apprentice. I I apply what he taught to the best of my ability. I'm working at it. I don't succeed 100%, but I guarantee you, I'm earnest. I'm sincere. And and that is that I follow what he taught in life and living. He's not just my redeemer, he's my teacher. So if he goes up into a mountain and he's going to teach, buddy, I'm right behind him. And I'm sitting there. Look what the mountain climbers, those who did not Mind being inconvenienced, look what they were privy to. They got to hear the greatest single teaching, the greatest single philosophical discourse in the history of the world in person. When he was with the crowds, he was more general. But when he went up that mountain, he opened up to them. Virtually he touched on every single thing that matters in life and living. And they got to hear it firsthand. They were sitting there. The crowds were there as long as it was easy. The disciples were those who climbed mountains to seek him. His disciples came to him. Mark says he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. That took them a while, y'all. That took some hours of climbing. It took some sweat, it took some effort, it took some perseverance, but they said, anything he's got to say, it's worth hearing. That's the difference between a disciple and the crowd. And I want you to be that way. I want you to think that way. If the Holy Spirit wakes you up at four in the morning and says, got something I wanna say to you. I want you to be a mountain climber. I want you to roll out of bed and make a fast track for the prayer closet and say, Lord, I don't care what mountain I gotta climb, what bed I gotta roll out of, how inconveniencing it is for me. I wanna hear what you've got to say. That was the disciples. That's why they were disciples. I guarantee you, those are the people that God shares his secrets with. Those are the people who have their finger on the pulse of what God is doing. Now, let me just move on. Mountain climbers in the natural, they got to be determined, take time, have courage, show effort, and exercise perseverance or they're never going to get to the top of a mountain. These people that climb Mount Everest for whatever crazy desire gets in their heart, I guarantee you they've got to have determination, perseverance, courage. They've got to take time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears, but they do it to get to the top. For, For them, just the accomplishment is worth it. What about, having, what about having the ear of God? What about God talking to you about things you need to know about? I want you to be mountain climbing Christians. What the mountain climb? I've only climbed one mountain in my whole life. I was 14 years old and we went to New Mexico and I was with a group of, of boys and, and, and just like a little one month long excursion in the, in the wilderness. And it was, it was kind of neat. Halfway up, but we climbed Pecos Baldy in New Mexico, all the way to the top. It took us about three days. We would pitch a tent halfway up, third of the way up. One of these little clear tents, I'd sleep in a sleeping bag. I remember about a third of the way up. I got sick as a dog on a log. I, can I just say it in church? Threw up. Sick. It was the altitude was affecting me. But you know what? They kept saying, when we get to the top, You're not going to believe the view. When we get to the top, you're not going to believe. You can see the world curving in the distance. When we get to the top, and they kept talking about what they did, they built a vision in me so that I wanted to get to the top of that thing. And we got to the top of this mountain, and there was a rolled up, put it in this little crevice of rock, a rolled up list of names of people who had made it. I grabbed that thing, Jeff Wickwire. And I looked, and they told the truth. There, stretched out in front of me, was the globe. Curving off into the horizon, you could see the earth curve. Sheets of snow, wildlife stretched out behind you. Eagles flying at the top. We climbed where eagles fly. And the climb was so worth it when I got there. I have never followed Jesus through any inconvenience that once we arrived at whatever arrival gate he was taking me to, there was not a view. There was not something there that bottom dwellers never get to see. Never get to see. Well, I could stay right there, but I gotta move on. Say with me, a mountain climber. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you ought to be a mountain climber. Can I tell you the truth about the Lord in these last days? God is looking for mountain climbers in these last days. He's looking for mountain climbers. He's looking for mountain climbing Christians. Wherever Jesus goes, we go. Wherever he parks, we park. When he picks up, pulls up tent pegs and moves on, we move on. Listen to a few mountain climbers. David, oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you to see your power and your glory. That's the longing of a mountain climber. Listen to Daniel, on threat of being thrown into the lion's den, if he prayed to God, it says of him in the Bible, quote, he went home and with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt and prayed and gave thanks before his God three times every day, as was his custom from his youth. That's the courage of a mountain climber. Listen to Paul, on threat of tribulation and imprisonment, Paul said but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy. That's the fearlessness of a mountain climber. Mountain climbers of the spiritual kind will face inconvenience and trouble and danger and persecution. They don't care. Anything is worth it to climb where he goes. And we will gladly persevere. We will sweat. We will arise early. We will pray late. We will remove distractions, anything that keeps us from him. And we will do whatever it takes to reach the top of the mountain so that we can listen to him. You're either a mountain climber or a bottom dweller, or I guess you can be somewhere in between. I tell you, it's more fun climbing the mountain. Now, the second thing I see is mountaintop experiences are defining moments. I want you to listen Let me quote Patrick Morley to give you an idea of what a defining moment is. Patrick Morley describes a defining moment as a watershed experience that shapes a person's character and determines the direction of his life. Defining moments determine destiny. They reveal our identity and our character, who we really are. They often represent signposts that mark the transition from one season to another. That's a defining moment. A defining moment or a mountaintop experience is when Jesus is uniquely and gloriously revealed to us. That's a mountaintop experience. That's a defining moment. Mark records, he was transformed before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth could bleach or whiten them. A defining moment is when Jesus is uniquely and gloriously crystallized and clarified where you see an angle or a part or a fullness of Jesus you've never seen before. You know that you know him. You know that you are saved, but a defining moment in God. That's what I'm talking about now. In God is when you receive a visitation from God, when God touches you, when God comes into your life and and, and touches you in a way that you never forget it, you never shake it, you are never the same afterwards. And thank God for those experiences, and it is in those experiences that we say, Well, I knew him, but now I really know him. You know who I'm thinking about right now? I'm thinking about the disciples in the boat. They've been following him around, going where he went, watched him do miracles, watched him heal the sick, watched him cast out devils. But they get into the boat. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They're halfway across when suddenly a storm, a raging furor sweeps down on them. The boat is filling up with water. It looks like they're about to perish. And they say, Lord, don't you care? And Jesus stood up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and everything became calm. And what did they say? Who is this? What was happening to them? They were having a revelation of him they had not had. Though they knew him, now they knew him better. Everybody say with me, revelation. And God will give you those times. You know why? You got to have them. You got to have them to grow. You got to have them to get your bearings. You got to have them to realize who you are and who he is and where you're going. Defining moments. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Ah, there's the million-dollar question. You just had a defining moment. Man, I love that. That just moves me to the marrow of my bones and back again. I love defining moments in God. Our God is a God who is endlessly, continuously unfolding himself to us. If he gave it to us all at once, we would blow up and die. Now, defining moments confirm things we have believed they confirm things we've already believed they saw him standing there and I watch this now they're following him around what have they been telling people he's the messiah they already believed it but they only understood in part they only understood in in percentages in fractions they didn't understand the way he wanted them to before he went back up to heaven so it says they saw him. What, what happened? Here's Jesus. They've been following him around now for a while. And all of a sudden, folks, you got to get this. Use your sanctified imagination. All of a sudden, they're on a mountaintop. And Peter and James and John are probably looking around, going, Cool, this is nice up here. Why are we here? All of a sudden, something very, very supernatural began to happen. Jesus transformed in front of them. Uh, 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 this is something Spielberg can never match. Because all of a sudden, his garment became whiter than the best bleach could possibly have made it. It was emanating with the glory of God. His face shone like the sun. He was very akin to the one you see in the Book of Revelation. He was transformed. This was something where y'all they were they were dumbstruck. Peter not knowing what to say. Aduh, 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 aduh. Shall we build a, let's build a place. He didn't know what to say. Listen, you know you're having a defining moment when it's so heavy, you can't wrap a word around it. And here's Peter. And he's cha- and all of a sudden, now catch this, standing here. And they knew, is Moses. One of the greatest evidences from the scriptures that when you die, your soul goes into eternity but you are still whole, you're more whole than ever? Because the soul spirit of Moses is standing here in a form where they said, that's Moses. They'd never seen Moses before, how'd they know it? It was an instant word of knowledge. And over here is Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus was a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So God was saying to these men, dumbstruck, bedazzled by this sight. He, boys, he is the fulfillment of all the prophets and he is the fulfillment of all the law. So this defining moment confirmed what they already believed in ways that could never have been done otherwise. When I got called This is going to be gone someday, but I like leaning on it right now. When I was called, when I was called, and for those of you listening to my radio, it's a little handrail that's going to be gone because it doesn't look very pretty, but, boy, it's nice to lean on. I may paint it and leave it. But anyway, no, I won't because Kathy won't let me. But anyway, here's the deal. When I was called, I knew I was called. I knew I was called to preach simply because he put the desire in my heart to do it. It was a burning desire to minister his word but I was terrified to do it. And I've told you this story. I was terrified to do it, terrified, because I had terrible stage fright. And so here I was struggling with this fear, battling with this fear. But when I was right at the crossroads of, do I go preach or do I go do something else? I had a visitation from Christ and he was in the room with me. And you may say, Come on, Pastor Jeff. Well, read your Bible. Do you believe your Bible or don't you? I'm not saying I was something special. I'm saying I needed something special. And he was in the room with me. And I believe I experienced a ministry of angels. And this this experience, I was never the same after it. The room was bright. I was never the same after it. What did it do? It confirmed what I already believed. But that's what a defining moment does. It takes what you already believe and says, this part of what you're believing is absolutely right. Isn't that powerful? It's absolutely right. Now, here's the last thing. Fresh direction is supplied to us in a defining moment. This is my beloved son, God said to them, hear him. It gave them fresh direction. I want you to hear him. A defining moment, both alters and it sets our direction in life. A defining moment clarifies and crystallizes the path that we're to travel. After my experience with God that night, there was no question in my mind. I'm called to the ministry. There is no question at all in my mind. I needed to know that because once I really knew that I knew that I knew, the stage fright began to go away because I knew he was with me. Defining moment. Some of you this year are gonna have defining moments. You're gonna be sitting here in church and you're gonna have some defining moments. We've had people, I gotta tell this one story. We call all the visitors and, and, and Annette Hutto, where are you Annette, are you here? She's not here, Annette Hutto was calling some of our visitors and she called this one couple and this couple said, and they live in Burleson, this couple said, you know, uh, you know how we found your church? How? Well, we were driving down 35 and we were going to another church and we've been praying about God to lead us to a new church because we were just feeling like there was a rustling inside of us and God was wanting to do a new thing, but we didn't have a clue what to do and we didn't know you existed. But we were driving down 35 on Sunday morning and we hit a traffic jam on Sunday morning. There is no traffic jam on Sunday morning. And the traffic jam stopped us in clear view of the sign above your building. And we looked, and we were on our way to church. And we said, well, we're not getting anywhere on this highway. Might as well get off and go to church. So they got off and came in here. They got nailed by the Holy Spirit, and they've been here ever since. And that's, you know, it's a a God thing. And I believe in defining moments in God, where God touches you, and you have a very powerful experience with Him, where your direction in life is set. You know where you're headed. One last thing and then I'm gonna close. Defining moments prepare us for the battles that lie ahead. They prepare us for the battles that lie ahead. You remember what I was saying about the disciples in the middle of the sea on the boat? Well, they had the defining moment. Who is this that we have followed? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Within just a few hours, They were facing a desperately possessed, demon-possessed man. And what did they have in their spirits and in their faith now? They knew that Jesus was in control of even weather patterns. So he can control these demons. Defining moments prepare you for struggles ahead. Waiting at the bottom of the mountain. You read the story if you read on in Mark 9. In the bottom of the mountain, when they came down from this incredible defining moment, There were critics disputing with them, a father crying out to them, a demon taunting them, a crowd doubting them, and a child dying in front of them. So the defining moment prepared them for what lay ahead. Can I tell you a little secret about God? God knows what your tomorrow holds. So that when you experience tomorrow, God never says, well, I'll be. I didn't know that was coming. What do I always say God never says? Well, I'll be, and he never says oops. You need to look in the mirror and say, God's never said oops over what I see. God don't make no junk, bad preaching, but, or bad English, but good preaching. Now watch this. The mountaintops, the defining moments prepare you for what lies ahead. God knows what's going to happen to you six months from now. And I wanted to just, just share with you in closing that he'll give you a defining moment that builds your faith and sets you on the right course that confirms to you what you had believed about God and about the scriptures, confirms all those things. And he'll strengthen you and shore you up and, and strengthen your infrastructure because he knows you're going to need it however long down the road. And when you face it, you're going to be ready. Amen. Amen. So I want you to stand with me tonight, can you? You know, when God gives you a defining moment, it's also you need to get ready because you're about to see some powerful stuff. God brings defining moments before he does something incredible. Moses had the burning bush. Next thing you know, he's leading a million people out of Egypt. Defining moments are precursors to great moves of God. That's why I believe many of you are going to be having defining moments. I don't know if it's going to be in here. I think it's going to be linked to here and related to here because we're a family and I believe you're going to have some defining moments. And I don't care if you're 90 or nine. Do you know that we have come into our church a Pearl Harbor vet? And I look at him when we're worshiping God And there he is, he's in his 90s, he's back there worshiping God. You know what? That Pearl Harbor vet can have a defining moment. God's going to bless us. Do you all believe that? So I want to pray for you. Father, I pray as you gave these disciples this defining moment from which when they emerged, they were never the same. They understood something about you they'd never understood. And, Lord, you took them from glory to glory and faith to faith. You gave them a defining moment because of what they were called to do. Peter, James, and John. Now I pray, Lord, that you will bless everyone in this sanctuary who's willing to be a mountain climber. Bless them with a defining moment. I want you to lift your hands. If you can pray this with me, and I want you to say, Lord, I do thirst for you. Give me a defining moment. Thank you, God. God. I'm willing to climb the mountain. Thank you, God. Be inconvenienced. Walk a second mile to follow you. And you take a minute, and I want you to talk to your Savior and your teacher while we worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank like you, Laura. Over the mountains and the sea, you runs with love and